By the way, I don't know if you guys heard, but we have a, a fifth member on the podcast. Sorry. There's a baby yeah, with Janie. Sorry. That's fine. It's very nice. No, it's really um, cute. Usually I would edit it out, but I think it's soothing. You know, a little bit of baby noise on the background. So I'll leave it in for you. Listen. <laughs> Hello there, listener, and welcome to the eighth roundtable episode of the Metacast, the Navic podcast in which we explore the business of video games. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by Janie Perissini, Matei Lancharic, and Aaron Bush. In this episode, we will be discussing Netflix's move into games, Valve's Steam Deck, and growth in a play-to-earn world. There's, I feel, a lot to talk about in this episode, so let's dive in. First topic, Netflix move into games. So ever since Netflix's CEO, Reed Hastings, confessed that it wasn't HBO that kept him up at night, but rather it was Fortnite, all eyes have been on Netflix's imminent entry into gaming. The streaming giant confirmed last Tuesday that it plans on expanding into video games. Mobile games will be the primary focus, but executives said that all the devices that Netflix already supports are candidates for its games. So that would include gaming consoles like PlayStations and Xboxes, as well as desktop computers and connected TVs. So my first question, why is Netflix doing this? And I'd like to hear Aaron's perspective spe uh, specifically. So Aaron, this is your chance to prove Netflix wrong in choosing someone else as their vice president of games. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on, <laughs> come on, man. Um, yeah, how rude. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of noise and speculation around Netflix entering the games business. But in my opinion, it's an extremely logical stepping stone for them. And uh, really, at a high level, if you had to pick one north star metric for Netflix, it would be the total time spent on the platform, which is a function of the number of users times the average time spent per user using Netflix. And that, that really is more so a means of measuring the company's ability to steal screen time market share from others. And, you know, management has said that comes from multiple places. They still compete with linear TV. They compete with going out to dinner. They've said they complete, compete with sleep. And as you mentioned, Nico, like Reed Hastings is like almost famously said at this point that Netflix's largest competitor isn't HBO. It's actually Fortnite. And when that comment was made, I think... Um, at the time, it very much had to do with the zeitgeist of the moment, but part of it also very much had to do with the fact that people are spending more time than in the past playing playing games, and that trend is even more pronounced in younger generations. So if Netflix wants to continue stealing screen time market share and be pretty aggressive about that, it obviously, one, needs to continue its current strategy of reinvesting in original video to attract new global users and gain further pricing power, which allows for further reinvestment. Um, but two, it also should open itself to tangential forms of entertainment. And, and that's what's going on here. And I think the best way to understand what Netflix is likely to do with games without really digging too deep into the strategy yet is to look back on its streaming strategy. Netflix, they first launched streaming domestically in the US in 2007, so 14 years ago, which feels forever ago at this point, but that's how long they've they've been hacking away at that now. Um, and later opened streaming to the first international markets in 2010. And then for the first five years, all it did was license content from others. And it wasn't until 2012 that it actually took an active role as a producer 
um, with Netflix originals. And then it took another three, I think, years for Netflix to begin like end-to-end in-house production, which is then gradually scaled up to what it is today, where the majority of the platform's content is Netflix originals that Netflix fully makes and distributes that itself. Um, and so, you know, I think the, they might move a little bit faster with games, but this is very much around um, using games as a new content pillar to be built around and roped into the core subscription business. Um, Some of these games honestly could exist somewhat for marketing purposes to kind of push people um, even deeper into the app, attract some new users. But I imagine a lot of the effort, especially over time as this grows out, will be purposeful and designed to increase the value proposition of the subscription itself, helping keep churn low, helping attract more users. It makes sense why they're starting with mobile. It makes sense why they're starting, you know, thinking around building around Netflix um, originals. Um, You know, over time, it's probably going to be more cross-platform oriented and, you know, made for a global audience. Again, it makes sense to build games around Netflix originals IP. We could even start to see new games with with Netflix original IP being game first come out of it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's going to take a lot of time to to play out. There'll probably be road bumps, but Netflix has sort of been through a similar type story before with streaming. And even though there are a lot of differences between, you know, making video type of content, I think that um, they're set up to be smart about it as long as they're kind of methodical and, you know, test as they, you know, test as they go and then double down on what works. I think, I I actually think they they could have something interesting here. Mm -hmm. Nice. (laughs) Matej, Jenny, agree? Disagree? Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, Well, it seems like the Netflix uh, subscriber counts looks like it's been slowing down a bit in the the recent time. Like this gaming business is the the way how to keep growing, right? And um, basically none of the competitors is actually uh, even thinking about these type of things. And the gaming industry... You know, it's the fastest growing entertainment category in the in the latest uh, what years. So uh, it definitely makes a lot of sense, and especially during the pandemic, the gaming industry reported really strong revenue growth, which is expected even to to grow. So uh, yeah, video games, you know, can give the Netflix another way to even like alert new customers to to Netflix, right? So uh, mm-hmm. definitely makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, Aaron, imagine you're, you know, we go back in time and they make the right decision and they pick you to be the VP of, uh, of games. <laughs> Practically, how would you approach it? Like short term, medium term, long term? Uh, what, what would your plan be? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of alluded to like the strategy they had with streaming. I do think that there should be parallels from that to how they approach um, games. And so, for example, they... They started with licensed content in order just to to see what works and to learn before investing a ton of money and building out all the internal capabilities, building out end-to-end production. They spent a good amount of time just learning about what resonated with consumers. And I think that is almost doubly needed in this case, where you're sort of building, you're tying together 
different types of entertainment in a way that hasn't really been done before under the same subscription. And so I think it makes sense to figure out like, hey, you have over 200 million active memberships with probably like three, three and a half you know, users per membership. So you actually have a base of 700 or so million mm-hmm. active users, which is a massive base to build on. So it makes sense to kind of work with others to figure out what resonates with that audience. And then once you have a better sense, um, both from just what resonates content wise, genre wise, but also just as you start working, your like working like the streaming, like tech chops of what really is needed infrastructure wise for this to work, then you can start um, like doubling down. I don't know if, if Netflix would pursue M&A. They haven't really done that at all um, in, in the past, but I could see see them, you know, still attracting talent, striking striking deals with, um, with, you know, talented people across the industry to make it function. But I really would be focused on testing and learning um, at the beginning and anything mm-hmm. beyond that mostly a speculation. I also think it makes sense that they're starting with mobile just because that's probably where they have the most people. And, you know, if you're building games for, you know, a TV, but like not really through a console, then that also is just like pioneering something mm-hmm. that hasn't really been done much before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think they'll get there. And I think they could do some interesting things with more like telltale style games, or even the massive interactive live events miles, which are still again, in the early stages. So it will take a lot of time to sort to sort itself out. But they have time, they're a first mover in this. And if they test and learn, and then be the first to test and learn, and then have the ability to also be the first to double down on what works, they'll be in a good spot, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do they have the the internal team to produce the mobile games? Because I know like they announced back in days in like 2019 some like mobile games based on Stranger Things. Apparently, with like Next Games, couldn't find it on on App Store or anywhere. So I guess and it it was supposed to launch uh, like last year. Nothing happened. So do they have the the the, the team already to build these games? No. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do not think that they have yeah, exactly. meaningful internal um, talent when it comes to games. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to lean more on licensing and then learn and then lean more on building out internal production, I think. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And so if you guys have to guess, do you think that this will be, you know, we'll look back in, 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 let's say, five to seven years and look back at this move as a success? Or do you think that there's going to be a lot of challenges and it's going to take a while before this can finally become, you know, something worth worth the effort? But w- mm. h- how do you define success, Nico, with this? Yeah. It's a good question. It, I mean, it's really hard to make like a top game, you know, like a game in the top 10, let's say. Um, I think they'll have a lot of success with IP deals because a lot of people will pay based on experience, pay a lot of money mm-hmm. for yeah. IP. Um, and it's less, you know, overhead <laughs> to just give out an IP. But I think if they end up going into actually doing everything from publish, you know, IP and publishing games, that's going to be tricky. Um, and it can get really expensive, but you can also make a lot of money. It just depends. Like it's, it's such a, a riskier side of the business. But it also is high risk, high reward situation. So I see, I, I kind of agree with the the thing of IP first, assess, maybe acquire studio, figure out the, you know, the talent that they might need, and then kind of go from there. But they said like they're not expecting to make any profits from the video game development. 
So he's like, what? Come on. <laughs> yeah, for now. For now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, the incentives of a Netflix is going to be different from the incentives of most any other games business, right? Like, like games is more the means to the end of like building as much like screen like stealing as much screen time market share as they can around the core subscription business and so it like they're not building a games business they're building you know a games vertical within a subscription the same way they added like a movie vertical or something something like that so i mean i think success has to be measured by their ability to leverage games to increase screen time in a way where it helps retention and probably to some degree taps into to new audiences. But I, I really think that screen time metric will be their North Star for all of mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. I um, And this, this might be extremely far out there, but I have this idea in my head where in the future <laughs> you'd be, you know, having, you know, games and series based on IP. And what Netflix could do at that point is like have them interact with each other in a way where you like watch a series and then you can like, you know, replay scenes or even like the series that you watch would be generated based on the character that you've built in the game that you've been playing. Okay, this is really far out there, okay? But I mean, Netflix feels in a good position if, if you can imagine a world like that in, in, in the future. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think right now, like transmedia is sort of like a, a term that's thrown out somewhat and people kind of think of Disney as, you know, what they're doing with Marvel or Star Wars, like they have opportunities to tell stories across platforms but mm -hmm. they don't actually own you know the production of all of the different uh, types of content that make transmedia like truly possible to the best um to the best degree and someone like netflix could be a dark horse in transmedia i think and being able to kind of weave together stories across different types of experiences obviously it's really hard and they said they're starting with mobile and i think it's important to remember that technically what they're saying they want to do isn't even allowed right by like app store rules i think <laughs> yeah exactly. right like you, you can't ha <laughs> like have you can't publish games within a subscription and like roblox is like the exception to the rule also that shouldn't exist i think these rules will probably change but probably also important to keep these things in mind there's a ton to sort out. I, I'm optimistic. I, I lean more optimistic that they can figure it out. But yeah, mm. the more specific you get with the details, the more likely you are to be to be wrong. So mm. caveat everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Next to that, what are some other you know challenges that it faces? I'm thinking uh, competition or just not having you know the the correct mindset to do something like like games. And also the team, you know, like. As, as of now, like they don't have any internal teams, and then like then uh, mm. what they are going to just like you said acquire other companies. Maybe they're now. I know there are two games mm -hmm. that uh, they published on Steam were outsourced by like Bonus XP Studio, which is based in Texas. Never heard of them. Really. Mm -hmm. So are they going to do mm -hmm. these type of things or just hire a very quality oriented team, which also takes time and. Obviously, talent is not it's not growing on trees. Well, and they also hired a marketing guy. They didn't hire a dev yeah. guy. They didn't hire a GM, someone that has built a top game. They hired a guy that does marketing. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> not true. saying it's a bad thing. It's just sex, <laughs> you know? Those people. Come on. Those people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, um, I saw... I saw research, um, a paper was written about the fact that AAA developers these days approach 
um, in comparison to the past games differently than they did. And so AAA development used to be a bit like, you know, blockbuster movie development, where there's a huge initial you know, costs, and then you develop the game and you try and sell as much as you can. Um, and when you've, you know, when the first months are done, you know, there's no effort being put in there. You don't expect too many well, revenues. Well, welcome to, to EA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, in the paper, the, the case was made that um, where film production is like um, the film production or film, films and series or commodities and games these days are becoming assets where you develop them, but you have to, you know, keep investing in, in what you've done and you'll, the more you invest, the more revenues you'll see, even in the long term. Um, and I feel there might be, you know, a big difference in the way Netflix used to work and, and how it might have to change in order to be successful to to really do this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I, I, I still think like the different incentives that Netflix has, like I think it's less likely that Netflix really conforms to the game world and in, in, in the sense that it it will, you know, take all of the best practices on how to publish games and monetize games and, and, and things like that. And it's very much they're going to figure out how to take, you know, games to, to serve like their own purposes, which just have completely different um, needs for them. And so I, yeah, I, I don't think it will actually change how they think much about other content going on in the business. But I do think how they approach content with games will just be different from how other gaming companies do just from the fact that incentives are different all right and finally it might make sense actually what you said sorry nico i'm just you know jumping into your and uh, all others should. sentences today you know um they actually make sense that uh, like mobile games or games on netflix will be just another piece of content you just go through it and then you know you don't see any ads you don't pay anything you just go through it and that's it like if you read a book or watch a show mm -hmm. yeah I think back to, to Nico, your point on like it taking a lot of money, but also, right, it hits the OC margin. So your uh, margins go down for AAA games or just like free to play games too with how much you have to spend. So, you know, you average what margin for a free to play game is probably in the teens when you think about UA spend and everything going into it in R&D. So Netflix probably like early Netflix days when they were trying to push the subscription where they're, you know, going from discs to the membership and how much they had to spend to get that. And now their margins are probably a lot higher uh, and they might have to go back to that, that world. And that might be a little hard too, to, to mm. tell shareholders, like we're mm. going to take a hit on our margins to build out AAA games like that. That's going to have to be something they have to like, you know, discuss and like they have to like set a strategy internally because you can't have high margins in a free-to-play gaming, you know, system just based upon if it's, you know, how much you have to spend in UA just to get just to get that money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think that will happen. I'll take the the other side. I I, I <laughs> okay. think um, the the benefit one benefit of Netflix is that they have 200 million active memberships with like 700 million active users, and so you know how like they're not. I don't think they're going to approach UA of games. Like it still will be like UA of the subscription as a whole. And as we've sort of seen with like one of the advantages of just their content production in general is that they, they can afford, like if you look at any individual piece of content, they can afford to spend money on it at a much higher margin than basically any other type of subscription because the cost is spread out across now hundreds of millions of subscriptions. And I think 
that same mindset will sort of apply to games where the cost, um, it just kind of ropes them to the billions that they already spend and they'll be able to kind of, uh, it'll be treated like any other piece of content and in the sense of thinking about how does spending money on this piece of content contribute to um, the value for these hundreds of millions of people and thinking about the cost to spread among those those people. Um, does that make sense what I'm saying? Maybe, I mean, maybe, you know, EA yeah. had a, millions and millions of players and that's not how they looked at margin, right? So I'm just mm-hmm. chalking it up to like large people or network of people. You still associate your cost though to a title level. You don't peanut butter it. Um, and I think that's the thing is like, if they're peanut butter in it, sure. But if they're not, then they're going to have a hard time wrangling like, okay, this AAA game is, we're going to spend a hundred million dollars on media, like call of duty or something like that, you know, and EA had a subscription model too. And not a lot of people use that. They decided to buy, you know, purchase games. So, so, you know, I've, I've, maybe, maybe I'm really pessimistic about it, but (laughs) I've just, you know, Annex and XEA guy. (laughs) <laughs> so I have to think that maybe he's going to think about that strategy. Um, so that's just something I think that Netflix is going to have to really think about and, and get over. Uh-huh. All right. Finally, uh, looking from like looking at the rest of the gaming industry, do you feel like this move, because Netflix is a huge player, um, will have an impact, will lead to some reactions? Um, or do you think that uh, this won't change much? I mean, I think some are going to shit their pants. I mean, but like, look at like, you know, there's, was it Warner Brothers or maybe it's Warner Brothers are now like, you know, selling off a lot of their gaming studios. So I think that some are too thinking about it. Like we're not, we don't want to compete against that. Like Netflix can mm. have this if they really want it and we'll just make the money on licensing our IP. Like we're not going to do game development anymore. So I think some will, will be a little bit worried, but I think it's like the old school uh, companies too, because they, they tend to license a lot of IP whether it's, you know, sports leagues or yeah, around a movie or some sort of franchise. And Netflix probably already has obviously that foot in the door with the co- the movie side, the content, the TV shows. And maybe this goes back to Aaron's point. They could peanut butter bucket in a deal that packages up like we'll, we'll license out, you know, we will distribute your movie or your TV show and also the, you know, the rights to, you know, develop this game. Yeah, I mean, my thought is that it's probably too early to really speculate on how Netflix or even even like one company will change the dynamics of the games industry. And it's obviously not mm-hmm. a zero-sum market. Um, but I do think there is possibly a broader takeaway, which, which, you know, there's so much that's unique about games. I don't think that spirit will ever die. But in the same way that Netflix realized that it's not in the video business, it's in the time spent business, I think eventually... Mm-hmm you know, the top gaming leaders as companies start to mature will come to understand that too. They're not just in the siloed game business, they're also in the time spent business. And as Hollywood and Silicon Valley and the games industry all start to realize that more, I think that industry silos will fall apart at an accelerated rate. And it kind of goes back to the bold prediction I made a couple episodes ago about Mm -hmm. how, you know, eventually Hollywood will set its sights on the video game industry again. Netflix is a first mover in this, and it's potentially a source of competitive advantage for them down the line being the first mover. Um, but, you know, the FOMO could be real. And once a, a company like Netflix succeeds and shows the the real value and 
merging together video and video game content, which, you know, still is an if, but, you know, if they, if they succeed, I think others will try to imitate. And it happened in streaming already, and I could see it happening again at the intersection of games and traditional entertainment too, if there is outside success here. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Awesome. Then let's move on to the, the second topic, the Steam Deck. So um, handheld gaming PCs are not a new concept. And while they have become slightly more popular thanks to successfully crowdfunded devices just such as the GPD Win, they have not broken out of a niche yet. However, this might change soon, uh, at least if you look at the response to the newly announced Steam Deck. The Steam Deck, developed by Valve, is a handheld device that can play any game in your Steam library. It runs SteamOS and is intended to be an open platform and will pretty much work just like a pocket PC. You can install Windows on there and even install other game storefronts like the Epic Game Store or the Xbox Game Pass. Um, you'll also be able to connect it to a screen, a keyboard and a mouse and play it as if it was a desktop PC, which is pretty cool to me. Um, and so <laughs> I don't know much about hardware, but from what I've read, the specs seem to be good enough to run um, almost all games in its 1280 by 800 uh, standard resolution. So my first question is, are you guys getting one? <laughs> Not yet. I don't. I don't think we've seen reviews or anything drop. I'm kind of curious about that first. My my, I'm really pessimistic today, so I apologize. But you know, this is just. I guess I'm going <laughs> to okay. go on this 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 theme now. Um, I was around when, uh, so I was interning at Glow because my you know my dad was the CFO of Glow, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that I was you know in leadership position uh, <laughs> as the the little the little lowly intern, but I do remember a conversation, um, and a interesting car ride home with my father one night one night uh, where we were coming back from work and you know he was like you know we're making a decision to, you know, we heard about Apple and their iPhone, but we're making a decision to double down on Nokia's N-Gage. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, because, you know, distribution of that, there's a lot more people that have Nokia's and, you know, the price point for iPhone is going to be too high and there's not going to be a lot of them. And Anyway, clearly that was terrible, a terrible move um, mm -hmm. because the consumption of uh, apps and gaming was still dominated by the iPhone and purchasers doesn't doesn't mean anything if you have just a big distribution of people if they don't buy anything or really like you know the I think that's where it's like the number of people that could own uh you know this Steam Deck is less relevant to the number of people that will actually purchase or consume the content and make it valuable for someone to actually have games on so um I hope it doesn't turn into the end gauge but uh that's my my pessimistic side. Okay, well, I got one. <laughs> Let's see. Firstly, I, I thought like it's it's another Switch device, but then when I was actually reading about the, the device, I was like, ah, okay, so this is like PC, uh, handheld, really mm -hmm. PC. I can install whatever I want. It's like, ah, okay, I might try this. Let's see. So you, you ordered one? or Yeah, a reserved one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah reserved one. Awesome. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I hope it's not crap. Yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, I've always, like, hyped when, like, new hardware drops. I'm yeah. definitely a sucker for it. I hope it's good. <laughs> if it is, I'll probably get one. But, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I have questions. I think it's too early to, to judge without seeing more, like, hands-on reviews. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I do think, compared to other companies, Valve is better positioned than most to try to figure it out. 
um, you know, owning the largest PC gaming storefront <laughs> and having a history <laughs> with hardware is a, is a good place to begin. So it's not shocking. It's also not a new idea, right? Like the main reason this hasn't occurred in the past is because nailing down like the, the right specs and form factor at a compelling price is difficult, if not like impossible in the past. And it seems like Valve may have cracked the code with the starting price of three ninety nine. Um but yeah, too early to judge. In the back of my mind, I like when I look at it, I think like the button placement is kind of weird. And hmm. like having played like on the Switch, like some games that have been PC first, like the the controls have been like really horrible. And I just wonder, hmm. like, will devs even want to like deal with this very much? Um, and I just kind of wonder how it'll feel from the standpoint of like being able to access multiple storefronts. Like, like what is the software experience going to be? Um, mm-hmm. because building operating systems <laughs> isn't an easy thing, right? <laughs> like that's, that's also a pretty tough task. Um, but it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, so yeah, we'll see if it's good. I'll buy it, but Def- definitely looks good on the paper. Yeah, it looks good on paper. It's just like, is it going to feel good? Like in the hands of yeah. players? No idea. I, I got my first switch last weekend. And I've already noticed that I cannot play lying down in my bed. So I tried, and it just gets like too heavy after a while. And so I know that the Steam Deck is even heavier than the Switch. Um, I mean, I might be super weak. Maybe you should start working out. Yeah, start yeah, CrossFit or something, Nico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be a good idea, yeah. <laughs> um, might help. No, so anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not... I'm not uh, I noticed these types of devices, you need to like be sitting down to, to in order to play them well. Um, at least uh, that's, that's my experience. Um, also, did you guys uh, do you guys remember uh, Steam Machines? By any chance? Vaguely. So that yeah. that that thing happened in got launched in 2015. Uh, so Steam had another adventure into hardware because you know Aaron, you mentioned you know Steam has experience in hardware, but when the experience is you know dead on arrival, as yeah. some people called it, uh, with the Steam machines, I'm not sure. It's probably better than nothing, but maybe Janie's right in being pessimistic. You know, the next N-Gage. Yeah, exactly. If you have, if you if you want to have my N-Gage, I'll sell it to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope it's not. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's not either, and I mean, like. The high-level strategy is still kind of interesting. Um, maybe we could talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit, because even if like this specific hardware doesn't work, like what they're getting at, maybe at some point, like we'll see something work. Um, mm. I mean, it's going to be be niche, and it's partially about making PC gaming more accessible through a lower price point, which is sort of Xbox-like in its approach to making Steam more accessible in more places. Um, but it's also about increasing the engagement of existing. Steam users. Um, so, in my opinion, when I see this, and you know, assuming it works, it is purely additive to Steam's business. And even though this device will juice like the revenues of the business, the profits will like basically all come from the added purchases that get made on Steam as a result of overall um, any like increased increased engagement that we see. Um, and it's a way for Steam to, to continue slightly branching out of a relatively flat PC market that they already mm-hmm. largely dominate. And mm-hmm. we know Steam is interested in other platforms. They've invested pretty heavily in VR, for example, right? Maybe a bit more with a bit more success there, although still very, very nascent. And this kind of strikes me as a continuation of that trend. They're trying to you know, be involved in a suite of next-gen hardware 
that expands the addressable market for Steam and therefore also the developers who want to sell via Steam. And I think mm-hmm. like the intentions are right. It's just Steam is really good at being a storefront. And when you start adding other complexities, it just like the execution difficulties just start to compound. Um, mm. So it makes sense why there'd be questions, but why they want to do this makes sense to me, I think. Mm-hmm. And who do you think will buy this? Is it people who already have a PC who want to be, you know, playing, continuing their Hades ga- game uh, while they're <laughs> commuting? Or is it uh, people who don't have one yet and, and find this a good price point to start enjoying these these big type of games? I think it's for existing, which is also tricky because you have to mm-hmm. take into account then you know, increasing retained user revenue is a very different strategy or different growth trajectory than getting new users in. Um, If they wanted to get new users, you know, it would probably be through a mobile device. You know, like having an expensive secondary device is not going to be for countries that obviously can't afford it or people that are new to Steam where they're like, well, why would I buy this handheld if I either already have Switch Mm-hmm. Um, or I have a phone, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I see it as just deepening with existing customers. Yeah, I think that's, that's like, true. You know, like you, you can, you can actually plug the, in the, uh, the monitor and everything, keyboard, whatever else. And uh, it actually seems to be like a really normal PC if you want to have it mm-hmm. like that. And for three ninety nine, that's, that's a pretty good deal. But who mm-hmm. wants, I mean, who wants a PC that's a hand, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Yeah. People got their phones, you know, they, they have their data plans, they, you know. So yeah. that I always just default back to that is like, if you have a phone and a data plan, you're not going to get someone to pay for a console or for a PC if they're in a country or in a in an environment that it's not convenient or it's not, mm. you know, those default to that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true. I mean, I think there will be a mix at the beginning, but maybe not in like huge quantities. But it, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it mainly is for... Um, like building the engagement of existing Steam users. And I was looking at some numbers just to kind of give some perspective, and I could be wrong about some of this, but but hey, uh, don't double-check me. Um, so I saw uh, Steam has 120 million monthly active users. I think that's what they announced like sometime for 2020, which may be slightly inflated. It's still probably like roughly in that, that range, um, which is about the same number of PS4s that were sold in total. The Switch has so far sold about 85 million units, about 20 million a year on average. Even the PSP has, sh- like I think, shipped like 80 million units or so in the past, which was more than I thought. Um, oh, yeah. And so I guess the point that, like, that kind of jumps to my mind is that Steam would need a 70% plus attach rate to match like where the Switch is today, where the PSP went, which is impossible. That's not going to happen. Even something mm-hmm. like a 10% attach rate, which would be you know over 10 million units, would be extremely optimistic and probably be considered a meaningful success. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think just it kind of puts some perspective that like what would be a success for this, which still is entirely in question, um, does not really make much of a dent compared to other types of like consoles or handhelds that have existed in the past. Maybe like as a genre, like if they can get the specs and price point to, to work and the operating system works well too and the games actually play well on it, like 
it could start to pioneer like a new hardware category, but that is a lot of ifs. And the more ifs that you have to stack on top of each other, the less likely success probably is to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're sounding pessimistic like me, Aaron. I know. <laughs> it's happening, I know. guys. Definitely. Rubbed it's happening. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, should Nintendo be concerned with this move? Is this uh, a threat to the Switch? I see, no Aaron, I see Aaron shaking his no. head. No, no chance. I mean, I think well, you already have to remember that as the gaming industry has continued to grow, Nintendo's focus has been increasingly niche. Um, however, like even when there were more dedicated gaming ha- handhelds on the market, Nintendo's value proposition has always been that its hardware is the only place you can play all the best Nintendo games. And that is why it sells so well, despite having mm. you know typically worse specs, a worse storefront, worse subscription options compared to basically everyone else. So, you know, as long as Nintendo keeps their IP alive and thriving, they're fine, in my opinion. As long as they don't pull another Wii U-type situation. And as long as they don't do that, they'll, like, far, far outsell something like the Switch. Or something like the mm-hmm. Steam Deck, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you know, Switch's game, top games are, like, things like Mario and Yoshi and, like, like mm-hmm. it's Nintendo games. Like so, people aren't going to buy Switch if they're ever buy um, a Steam Deck if you know they bought the Switch because of Nintendo games. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That's true. I uh, one of the main reasons I bought my Switch was because I'm trying to get my wife into games, and I thought Ooh. that Animal Crossing might be a good way to do that. Mm. You know, as a, as a first step to ease her into it. Um, so I'm uh, it's still a work in progress, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get there. Um, also, I did find that you know buying a game on a Switch. Horrible, terrible, terrible experience. <laughs> like my, 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 yeah, yeah, really bad. Um, cool. All right. Yeah, let's, let's move on. Next topic. By the way, I don't know if you guys heard, but we have a, a fifth member on the podcast. Sorry. There's a baby yeah, with Janie. Sorry. That's fine. It's very nice. No, it's really um, cute. Usually I would edit it out, but I think it's soothing, you know, a little bit of baby noise on the background. So I'll leave it in for you, listener. <laughs> All right. Topic three growth in a play to earn world. So, um, if you're kind of into games and you've been, you know, not living on the rock in the past months, NFTs and play to earn have been all the rage. And so as a quick update, after my rant, my boomer rant of last week, <laughs> I decided I didn't want to be that guy, you know, that hates on something without trying it. So I decided to give, to give Axie Infinity a try. So I took my ledger out of my safe and I bought myself the three cheapest Axies I could find, <laughs> um, which... Cost me about $900 with today's Ethereum prices. Yeah. It's a very expensive nice. game. Um, yeah. And then I installed the game on the PC and I, I, you know, I launched a campaign thinking I would be starting to earn some smooth love potions that I could sell back, you know, to get into the whole uh, <clears throat> scheme. And then um, that was about a week ago. Um, and so I still haven't been able to finish my first battle. And so the reason being is that Axie became so popular that the servers couldn't handle the load anymore. Um, so yeah, I guess that stuff tends to happen when your game explodes, um, and you've built most of it on top of something which is notoriously bad at scaling, like the mm-hmm. blockchain. But anyway, so um, yeah, I see I see Janie nodding. So perhaps man, we're all just anyway, pessimistic um, about everything here today. I yeah, guess. Yeah. 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 Yes. You can. You can hate. Yeah. Great. Hate on. <laughs> hate on Plater. Well, yeah. I'll. I'll, I'll try to t- talk you out of that. Yeah. I, I tried to try to play as well Axie Infinity, but I can't even like run it on my browser. I tried like all, all of them on my PC, just can't work. I'm not sure like what I'm doing well, really? wrong, but it's like yeah, I can't uh, play. It's like okay. 
keep it coming. Keep it coming. It's, it could be that it's a service, but I feel, I mean, again, this is like a technical issue and I feel like in a few weeks or perhaps months, um, that will be probably be sorted and, uh, I should be able to, to give you a full update on how nice. it works and, and how fun it is. Um, but so in the meantime, I'll probably have to switch to another NFT games um, and maybe a game from Gala Games. Yeah, yeah. I, I can so play Town Star. Yeah, Town Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I can play. Yeah, ah. yeah go play Town All right. Star. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll give it a try. Um, but anyway, oh, enough about that. What I'd like to discuss specifically today is uh, user acquisition oh. and growth in a play-to-earn world and how it differs from traditional free-to-play user acquisition. And I feel that the best person in the world to discuss that with is probably Janie, who left her stable job at EA to become VP of Growth at Gala Games. So Janie, could you tell us a bit more about how your job changed? Yeah. So yeah, um, a very stable job. Um, no, the uh, Gala's a... See, I see my little Reese here agrees to. Um, Gala is... Um, has been... It, it, crazy good um you know when it, i i i did come from startups back before ea so <laughs> i that is in my veins um and i like it because of that there's a lot you know and there's a lot of projects like axie infinity and others that are um not, it's not the young state even it's just trying to prove out or trying to kind of showcase use cases for blockchain when it comes to gaming. So mm-hmm. none of these are going to be perfect right now, which I think is also part of it is you have to love games or be an early adopter <laughs> or just appreciate the technology behind it too. Um, you know, as the market matures, it will get there. I mean, free to play got there too, right? Free to play games when it first came out, were not great. Um, you know, but the premise was you could, it was, it was universal. Everyone could play a game without having to pay, you know, 60 bucks for a game, um, and also available on devices. And, you know, I remember people when free play games came out and they're like, well, these are shit compared to console and, you know, Mm. everything was against console. And it's like, well, you know, this is different. This is different. It's, it's democratizing gaming. And so I think free to play to earn is kind of this next step into free-to-play in terms of I've always been concerned about free-to-play being moving into a direction of pay for power you know this concept of you have to pay in order to win and I think that uh, a lot of the higher value free free-to-play players are starting to realize like if I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in a free-to-play game what do I get at the end of the day if I stop playing that game I don't get anything in return like Mm -hmm. you know the the value of that content I bought or the you know xp I've I've, you know I've done the grind for that means nothing Mm -hmm. in the end and Mm -hmm. play to earn makes it I think a little bit more worthwhile for people that are serious about gaming and in in free even free-to-play gaming about like I'm committed to a particular game or I you know I'm willing to spend in a game in order to get something out of it um and it also is a is becoming an, an income for countries where thirty forty dollars Axie Infinity actually means an income. So like mm-hmm. you look at the Philippines, right, and you look at these countries that um, were really impacted by COVID, and that money becomes an act that becomes something. Um, and you know you you have to think about the play play to earn is not play for return. So if you're, you could be earning, but you could have a negative return easily. And I think that's mm. something I took too from DraftKings is you should think about play to earn still as being fun. It should not be mm. something that you spend your life savings in. Um, it should still be fun. 
But the, the idea is that if you love doing something, you love doing something, why don't you, you can earn something mm-hmm. from that, you know? Mm-hmm. So gaming is not a waste of time anymore, as I would tell my mother. Uh, <laughs> never was, Janie, come on. Never, never was, was, right? Never. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just see. And I also think that it's it'll hopefully create new economies, like people creating content within games and metaverses and being able to sell that. Um I think it opens up a whole different, yeah, lifestyle and and way of living for for people that have wanted to live in a, you know, live like Ready Player One style, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how how does the marketing changes for like? Oh yeah, sorry, like, I should like, answer that. Know. So marketing, yeah. <laughs> but because I I just received the the email from Janie, the gal from Discord intro video, so I, I guess that's <laughs> like you. very different, like email marketing. Uh, yeah. Marketing so our to, to community game. is is the big one because play to earn is still crypto like enthusiast centric. You have to know something about crypto. You have to be in the space in order to kind of play the games. I mean, even Axie Infinity, like the, I would say Dapper Labs has a has a interesting concept where you can buy something through a credit card, but it technically isn't an NFT in the same way that crypto enthusiasts would think of as an NFT. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the marketing is different. There's when you th- when you say, "Hey, come play a game. You can earn something." Mm-hmm. People are like, "Well, what's the gimmick? Like, mm-hmm. What are you stealing from <laughs> me?" You know. So I think that there's a trust thing that needs to come with the messaging, mm-hmm. which I also mm-hmm. think is why our community is really important. Our community mm-hmm. is the one that actually they're the ones that they tell new people coming into the platform, like, "No, this is actually a legit project. Mm-hmm. It's not a scam." Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, yes, there are scams out there, but this one is not a scam. Um, and you know, they're the ones that actually evangelize the platform more than we do. Because if I put something, if I put a banner up today and said, play, yeah, <laughs> play town star and earn something, something, mm-hmm. um, people would probably be like, that's total bullshit. Um, unless they understood the concept already. So I think mm-hmm. right now it's still educational. What is play to earn? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by play to earn? Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into the, you can actually win things and earn things and all that. So right now it's just trust, transparency. How do I even win? How do I get secret love potions? Like what, you know, give me the, you know, how do I grind it out without like running around or doing, you know, aimlessly wandering or doing a battle and not understanding how I actually get, you know, get something out of it. So Mm -hmm. I think the transparency factor um, and then also making sure, well, is this all run by a bunch of sharks? So if I enter, Mm -hmm. then it's like, is my money going to be taken or my, you know, my content going to be taken by someone that's a, a better player than me? out of the gate so um from a marketing perspective it's this is a you know how do you make sure it's a level playing field how do you make sure that the uh you know early adopters don't feel it's watered down Mm -hmm. um that you know it doesn't become too generalized that it still has an edge um and then also making sure that people feel like it's trusted that this is not a gimmick and this is not Mm -hmm. something to just take people's money so. so it's more about like the crypto community rather than gamers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, right now it's focused on crypto community, but I think in order to actually make this successful, it has we have to get gamers in. And mm, thank you. You know, yeah. right? And the the thing about gamers is they want true games like MMOs. They want actual MMOs, not mm. like rink-a-dink versions of an MMO. Uh, and an easy way to create a wallet, to fund a wallet. You know, some might not really know how to convert different currencies or even know which exchanges to go to and what's the difference and all that. Um, or even the power behind it, right? Like, you know, you were saying how Axie Infinity is somewhat kind of broken right now. Well, 
yeah. you know, a lot of it too is out of their control about what blockchain they're built on. Um, but if you didn't know that, if you're a gamer and not a crypto person, that might feel scammy or that might feel like there's something behind it. But, you know, so I think that there's things like that, that um, either the, you know, blockchain, you <laughs> need to think about what blockchain you're, be- you're building your games on, uh, which I think you should, but also the transparency too. Like this, the reason you can't get your money out right now is not because we're holding it for some nefarious reason. There is a, there's an actual technology and something going on that's keeping, you know, that's queuing up, you know, withdrawals or, you know, has some sort of system down. So. Mm-hmm. I uh, remember in, I think, the second episode of the Metacast Roundtable, um, we had like a, a UA heavy episode. <laughs> and I remember sitting yeah. there while you guys were throwing things around like uh, ARPU, uh, <laughs> CPI and all that yeah. stuff. I didn't understand anything. Um, so these are, I as I later f- finally started understanding our KPIs and, and some, some targets that you, you measure at least, um, how did that change for you in, in, in play to earn? Like what are the yeah. KPIs for building a community and establishing trust? And um, Well, our former CMO, CMO, who's now like our president of blockchain, did a great job building the community. Um, and it's all mainly through Discord. So that's like mm-hmm. our main community channel. And that's pretty typical for crypto communities is mm-hmm. leveraging Discord. Um, and a lot of it were AMAs. Um, uh, also, uh, you know, we have a program where people can buy nodes and so they can technically run our games on on nodes and they get something out of it. And we're all overly transparent with our community too. So yes, I am a growth person, but I actually work with the community on growth initiatives with them, which I think Mm -hmm. is a new concept that I've never really worked with like the community or our players in that capacity where they're telling me what they think will help get new players in, what they think will drive uh, additional revenue for us. Um, And they're like, they're, they're the skin in the game is like heavy Mm -hmm. for them. Um, but they also, yeah, they're, you know, like they will call bullshit when there's something that they feel that they weren't, that we were, you know, like, why was this announced? Like, you know, but you said that this and like, you have to make sure that your commitments are fulfilled, that you have to make sure that um, your community is always happy because they're your first, they're your first customers, but they're also your your top salespeople um, at the end of the day. So, um, mm-hmm. so community is the first thing. Paid is still very tricky because again, it's not scalable to go after gamers. This is a very niche audience. Um, so UA is a very different, it's not paid social. It's not all that. It's a very mm-hmm. different type of, yeah, I send emails now. Yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I do that, you know, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, AMAs, um, um, we're going to have a gala con, so we'll have a, a something happening where we have an in-person with the community. Um, there's D&D things on, on our Discord too. So it's like a whole, we kind of consider it kind of like, yeah, like a lifestyle in the community. Um, not, you know, going after gamers and hitting a certain number that we know will convert because it's a niche audience. There's not a lot out there yet. But mm-hmm. gamers will come, but there needs to be changes in the flow. I don't know how easy it was for you to to figure out even how to buy axes and then you know or even fund it to get them. But um, you would be very technical if you figured it out yeah. compared to like what I lost you know, in all of the, all of those documents. I'm like what? <laughs> It's too much, yeah. too much to, for too me. There's still ways to go to make that stuff you know instant, user friendly, understandable. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, what's up with the with 
with these games being on like web, not app that much. Yeah. Did I miss something? Well, yeah. There's so I actually want games to be on on app, but the issue is app stores don't allow us right okay. in the in the game okay. in the app stores yet. But you know, similar DraftKings, DraftKings right until the legalization of mm. sports betting or the policy changes with Google Store and and uh, Apple Store uh, and the App Store. You know, we we had things at DraftKings like APKs and just responsive web pages and things like that to you know still get a mobile mm-hmm. audience. Um, similarly, you know, Axie Infinity, there you know you can download an APK. There's like ways to you just can't go through the App Store, right? So I th- I think the App Store will definitely want to be part of it because of the the you know the revenue that could be generated from it from in-app purchases and things like that um but that's also a whole new thing is like in-app purchases technically it's powered by blockchain so like how do you deal with that anyway that's mm, the whole thing yeah. that apple needs to i know i know what i will do i will play axie infinity on the steam deck boom there you go on your steam deck <laughs> and i'll play on my engage and we'll play against each other um perfect <laughs> uh yeah Yes, but I think that uh, I think that APKs and responsive web pages are a hundred percent something we should any any crypto project should look in from a gaming perspective, especially when your top customers are actually playing through a mobile device like Axie Infinity, um, generating most of the revenue from mobile. Um, but there's that hardcore PC audience though too. We are building an MMO. Um, MMOs are really hard to play, you know, on phones. Uh, you know, yeah. really immersive ones. Um, so I think the, you know, the PC audience is still, I would, I would say our top or highest value customers, not that it's always going to stay that way because we should democratize it. I mean, I come from mobile, so it mm-hmm. hurts my heart not to have mobile offering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The sports betting analogy was kind of interesting though. I can kind of see the parallels there and just thinking about how to, to market something where the rules are still getting sorted out. Um, yeah, but I guess I I sort of have another question, which is like, how do you think the play to earn UA strategies will evolve as these games increasingly move more mainstream? Like, will communities still be core? They're just 10x larger. Like, will will it start to like reflect more traditional games, or like at a more mature state, do you think it'll like really pioneer like entirely new like UA models? Like, how how are you kind of thinking about the trajectory of this? I think that. Uh... Community will be core for certain games. You know, Galloway are building different types of games. I don't think a casual game is something that, like, the community, you know, yeah. <laughs> the typical community pe- person is going to be super, like, if we build a solitaire game, they're not going to be, like, talking about solitaire guilds on the community and things like that, right? <laughs> um, but I think we there will be some democratization of that, of, like, my mom playing a solitaire game or a casual game, but on the back end, instead of her just sinking a bunch of money, uh you know, she can earn something too. You know, she's the kind of person that like puts a, she got like her fence done and she like put the fence thing in the front yard. I'm like, mom, this looks so white trash. And she's like, but they're going to give me $10. I'm like, I will give you $10 to take the sign down. Um, So, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, to her, if she gets like a few bucks or something, she'll be super jazzed in a a game. She's Mm. like, oh, wow, look, Janie, I like got money back. Um, So uh, I think that, the community is good for the types of games that are available right now for the community that explore, which is crypto enthusiasts, crypto, you know, kind of first types of people. I think gamers is going to change that and the broader audience. And when we start to add more casual players into, you know, the crypto space, 
um, I think that will change. I think it'll, I think you'll see what you see right now in like free to play, but hopefully we've learned some lessons too with free to play to not make those mistakes in a, a play to earn model. I also think, you know, going back to DraftKings promos, offers, um, whoever kind of has the best promos and offers at that time, like, Hey, fund your wallet and we'll, you know, we'll match you, you know, certain Ethereum or something. I could see something mm. like that being, um, being, being done, um, but I also think it'll come with a lot of, yeah, there's there's still rules. We don't know. I don't know from a marketing perspective outside of what my legal counsel, you know, has, has. But like, there's no rules that tell you what you can and can't do. But to be mm. conservative, you should follow certain things like, you know, there's there's promo rules and there's rules about what you can say about, you know, obviously nothing about it being an investment because it's, it's not at the end of the day. It's, you know, mm -hmm. so this is supposed to be for fun. Um, and so it's similar to, it is very similar to DraftKings in terms of regula regulatory stuff and being compliant and all that. So. Cool. All right. Reaching the end of the episode. Thanks for all the insights. I feel like this play to earn story, we're going to be touching on that for the, yeah, the months never -ending to come. Story. We just, we are just starting. Never ending. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's like a whole newly, it's more than a genre, right? It's, yeah. it's. Yeah, I know. It's it's cool. It's fascinating. I'm uh, very interested. Um, all right. But that is everything for day, uh, for today. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Matei. Thank you, Aaron. Thank and you Jane. Thank you, Janie, for your and your baby's insights and no, comments. Thank you all. They were fascinating. Yeah, this was fun. And um, dear listener, if you like what you heard, feel free to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the show. For more content about the business of games, visit masterthemeta.com. If you have any questions or you want to call us out on our ignorance, let us know at metacast at navic.co. And you can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I personally hang out in the reason.com social podcasting app. This was the Metacast by Navic. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Cheers. Thank you.